Well, it's my understanding that today we're having uh, family lunches. Fondren Church, we're thankful, is a metro church, and we have folks from all over the metro area that are part of our church family. And today, if you signed up for a lunch, some of these homes are open. We hope if you signed up that you'll go. If you hadn't signed up, you'll hear information about that um, after the service. And so you can sign up and be a part of a, a family luncheon somewhere around the metro area. Wouldn't it be cool if everybody could come to my house for lunch? Wouldn't it be cool if I had a house that everybody could come to for lunch? There's a castle for sale across the street if you guys want to make that the parsonage. I'm just dropping that as uh, maybe as a suggestion to the finance team, personnel, something like that. Hey, we've been in Acts all summer. And today I'm going to tackle this real challenging endeavor of wrapping up this series. For 15 weeks, we've been walking through Acts. How fast has the summer gone, by the way? I think next Sunday, in some ways, or the Sunday after that, will be back to school. And for some folks, back to church, right? But we've been walking through Acts this whole, whole summer and just extracting from this story of the church in the first 30 years. Uh, we left off last week in Acts chapter 20. And Paul, remember, he was Saul, and there was that road to Damascus experience that God gave him, transformed his life, and God loves to use the unqualified over and over again. Aren't you glad? He uses folks that just aren't qualified for the task, but sometimes he, he puts his hand on a man or woman's shoulder and says, I want to use that gifting of yours, this prodigious intelligence or gifting of yours, and I want to use it for the kingdom. And he did that with this man named Saul, who also became Paul. And last week we left in Acts chapter 20, where Paul was with the elders in Ephesus, and there were tears. Do you remember why there were tears? There were tears because they were a church family. They were sharing the gospel. They were seeing impact. The gospel was going forth. It was multiplying. It was increasing. Uh, it was spreading. It was really good. Church had problems. Church had lots of problems. But they had leaders, and these guys had led together, and they knew, if you were here last week or had a chance to listen online, you know in Acts 20 it says that they went to the ship and they wept as they said goodbye to Paul because they knew they would not see his face again. What happens? What we're going to do today, this is not a maybe typical day where we'll say turn here, but if you do have a Bible, turn to the last part of Acts, and we'll probably hit a couple of passages in Acts chapter 25, 26, 27, 28 respectively, but we'll have all the passages on the screen. But what happens after this uh, tear-jerking moment at the ship in Ephesus? Paul, he goes to Jerusalem, and at Jerusalem, the Jewish authorities tell the Romans that he's there for PR, not public relations, but a political revolt. They say that Paul, and this is a lie, but they say Paul is there to do a coup d'etat. He's there to overthrow the Roman authorities. It's a lie, and the Romans were very great at uh, interrogation. They question Paul. They discover, of course, that it is a lie, but the Romans don't know what to do with Paul. And they release him to the regional governor at the time, a man named Felix. And Paul is given to Felix, and Felix doesn't know what to do with this powder keg named Paul, this revolutionary in the world. And he puts him in prison, and Paul is in prison. Okay, so you, you, he's gone through all this persecution, much of it. Martyrdom is awaiting. But he goes through all this persecution, and then he's just put in prison. Persecution is one thing, but to for, be forgotten is something else. Anybody feel forgotten today? What does Paul do over these two years? History tells us, and I love this, history tells us that Paul wrote many of the epistles, the New Testament letters that became a part of this best-selling book of all time. I'm going to point at a few of you, okay? If you, if you see my finger, tell me what year you were born. Luke? 
19 what? 94. Wow. The Bible was the best-selling book in 1994. John, what year were you born? 81. Mr. Tucker, what year were you born? You're old with a gray beard. 57. 91, 57. You know the best-selling book of 1957? The Bible. Rick, when were you born? 82. The best-selling book in 1982 is the Bible. Mariah, you were born what? 92. I'm old on staff now. Mariah is one of our youngest. 1992. The best-selling book when Mariah was born, the Bible. Every year, every year, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. And so long ago, this guy that I told you, one of the smartest people to ever live. God uses him in his darkest times when he has been forgotten to write. Do you feel forgotten today? Start journaling. Write out your thoughts and your prayers and your dreams. Foner Church is blessed. I think I see her back there with administrative assistant named Tammy Sims. If some of you want to meet with me as your pastor, uh, you can call Tammy Sims. She will set up an appointment. If you text me and try to meet with me, that's not going to work as efficiently. But Tammy keeps uh, Jeff and I and really in some ways our whole church very organized. And Tammy loves to journal. Any other journals in here? And Tammy writes things out, and sometimes I go in her office and I open up her journal when she's down the hall. Um, I would never, ever do that. The staff do know that I eavesdrop on their desk, right? I'm not a micromanager, but I walk on their desk, I look at whatever's on their desk. Like, so they're, they're, they've learned to write things like they're working, all their to-do list and everything. But I would never look in someone's journal, but, but a, a couple of times recently, and even this week, Tammy, she let me peek in to something she had written, and I almost hate her because her handwriting is, is so awesome and mine is so not awesome, but it's color-coordinated and she circles verses and writes in there, and she let me see a writing this week from Habakkuk, that's hard to say, chapter 1, where this prophet of old says, Lord, how long, how long, how long do I have to wait on you, how, how long do I have to feel forgotten, and there was this, this thing in her life that she looked back when she wrote that and she saw God work in that situation it gave me chills and it made me love Tammy and appreciate her and our staff and their heart for God to know that she's writing and journaling is a good thing let me say this if you feel forgotten and hurt and disappointment is taking root in your soul I would recommend a journal entry not a Facebook post all right so I'm gonna step on some of your toes I don't have any of you in mind but I know this week a friend of ours let's be safe a friend of ours out of state Went through something hard. We did the perfunctory praying for you. And we saw the Facebook post. And I thought, that should have been a journal entry. Right? Instead of backbiting and stirring up trouble and gossiping and spewing the venom, get before the Lord. Things weren't good for Paul. Paul was forgotten. And in this jail cell, he wrote these letters. Feel forgotten. Pour out your heart, your prayers, your thoughts, your dreams to him. So Paul is forgotten and Felix yields his governorship to a man named Festus. It's just getting better, isn't it? Felix yields to Festus and Festus learns about Paul and he... You see our theme, doesn't know what to do with this man named Paul. This message of Jesus that he's carrying is changing the world, but it's upsetting the apple cart, the established religious systems, 
and potentially the governmental structures. All kind of crazy things are happening. Ethnic barriers are being broken. Men and women are living together in love as brothers and sisters in Christ. The poor are being taken care of. All kind of radical things are happening because of this message of Jesus from Paul. So Felix yields to Festus. Paul stands before Festus. And Paul before Festus says these legal words at the time, I appeal to Caesar. There's a legal precedent at that time. When you say I appeal to Caesar, you know the path. And the thing is, the trick of that is you have to abide by what Caesar says. And though they were at the time very volatile, not mentally stable people. They could do whatever they wanted. And the ruler at the time was a man named Nero. But here's what Paul's doing. He's doing what we talked about last week when he said, my life, it's not that valuable to me. It's not precious to me. It's not my own. He's saying, I'll go. But when I go to Nero, I'll be able to take the gospel to Rome. You see, when Acts 1 starts, Jerusalem. 28 chapters later, 30-something years later, the goal of Paul was to take the gospel to different continents and even to Rome. That's 2,997.4 miles away, a seven-hour plane ride. They didn't have planes. Wow, this message was something else. Oh, how it spread. And so Paul, he says, Lord, whatever, whatever is my fate, Festus, remember, replaced Felix. There's another regional governor in the area named Agrippa. And Agrippa, here we come to our story. Agrippa is with Festus. And here's what he says in Acts chapter 25. King Agrippa, I'm sorry, let's go. Do we have another verse before that? No. Acts 25. Talk to me. That's it? Okay. Um, in Acts chapter 25, I don't know if I have my phone or, yeah, um, I'm not going to have my reading glasses, so we're good to go. Uh, there we go. All right. Notice how I kept my composure. I didn't sweat. I stuck with it. You stuck with me. You're loyal. I love you. Acts 25, 22. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I've been talking about him. I would like to hear the man myself. That man is Paul. Tomorrow said he, you will hear him. I want to give you three things about Paul, this gospel carrier. Three things this morning. The first is that his life provoked questions. Here we say his life provoked a question. The central question is, what's different about you? I want to, I want to hear from this man. In other words, Festus was going to have a festival. This is just too good. He was going to have a festival the next day. And at the center of it all would be Paul defending himself and this message of Jesus. Paul had a pretty good track record, if you'll remember, in Acts chapter 17. and He would, he would be reasoning and defending what's different. I want to hear from that, that man. Don't miss this. I want to hear from him. I want to know what's different about him. His life provoked a question, what's different? Does your life provoke a question? Does our church provoke a question? What's different? I want to hear about you. How you handle pain and disappointment is the best display for the gospel you'll ever have in your life. 
How do you handle the hard stuff? Three or four months ago, I sat down with someone who accepted Jesus recently. I am hoping that if they connect here, we'll have an opportunity to baptize. And this testimony was this. I, God put someone in my path and the same, the same evil befell this person that had befallen me many years prior. The same injustice, the same pain from early adulthood. And this person had something different. And I looked at them like I've never looked at anybody with such sincerity, with such curiosity and I said how have you been able to forgive and move on what's different about your life does your life provoke any questions how you live how you handle how you handle pain and disappointment how you handle it when you feel like that you've been forgotten how you give if you're a note taker write this number down 2.4 percent 2.4% 2.4% is, the, is what the average churchgoer gives of their financial resources. Now, you know, Scripture talks about a tenth. It talks about 10%, that tithe, which I believe is training wheels. I believe a life of generosity and sacrificial giving is the tour de France and what we're ultimately called to. But God says, give a tenth. Let it be training wheels. Let it teach you. Let it teach you. To let go and not be greedy. Let it teach you to move away from fear that I'll be your provider. Let it be an act of your worship. And let it meet meet needs. In Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4, we see that they gave. The scripture tells us in the early church, the first 30 years, they put resources at the apostles' feet. They trusted their local church. Like, I can't tell you what that does for me and my leadership. They trusted their local church and said, we want to see needs being met. We want to see the gospel go forth. But 2.4% is the, the number, the percent that the average churchgoer gives of their financial resources today. Write down this number, 2%. That's 2.0% is the average number, or is the number that the average American gives away. So the question, in studying a letter where we see historically that the church led the way in generosity, I ask you, is that what we want people to ask. Here's a contrast with questions here. Do we want people to ask us the following? Here, let's put it this way. The goal is not to have someone ask, why are you moderately more moral? But are you invested in a whole other kingdom? Is there something really, really different about you? Anybody drawn like a moth to a flame? Anybody feel a magnetic pull towards someone who's moderately more moral? Like, that's just not inspiring. And nowhere are we called to be moderately more moral. Some of us, I'm going to go into a Twitter spot, but some of us have been freaking out with the events and uh, the fall and the scandal and the pain um, in, in the state of Mississippi and the, some of the, the post and the conversation. Like, oh, we just, the church can't handle this. We can't have this. Oh, it's just so terrible. And it's not good but it can be redeemed. And nowhere do we say that, that we're morally superior or that we have it all together. And how we respond when we fall says a lot about us. And how we respond when others fall says a lot 
about us. In Galatians chapter 6, when we see someone caught in sin, and that doesn't mean like I caught you in sin, but when someone is caught in sin, we are to restore them, the scripture says, with gentleness and reverence. With gentleness because they need our, that, they need that, and with reverence because we ourselves could fall. In James 5, it says the one who has wandered, the one who has fallen, hey, we win them back, we woo them back, we care for them, we seek to enfold them. And that is the gospel. The goal is not to be moderately more moral or win some moral competition. The goal is to see him transform us from the inside out and then see the change that he brings. And over and over, I pray for testimonies for the church in this watching world as they saw in Acts, that they would see that we're different in how we forgive. They would see that we're different in how we love our enemies and bless those who persecute us, how we can turn the other cheek, how we can come and we can die and we can take up our cross and we can follow and we can realize that it truly is not about us. Not moderately more moral, but investing and living for an other unseen kingdom. Does your life provoke questions? The second thing that I want to tell you about Paul is that his life, in his life, he seized opportunities. Acts 26. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? This is Paul, by the way, to him upon his release. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. If you would leave that up. What's he saying? I love the ordinariness of that language, right? In a short time, would you persuade me? Would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul's response is, it's what I want. It's what I long for. And I told you last week, Paul was a little different than Peter, though he, he was among the intelligentsia of his day, even though he was a power broker, even though he was unbelievable in his understanding of the Holy Scriptures and being able to exposit it and reason with others. It wasn't just fruit after fruit after fruit. God chose for a crazy reason to give that to Peter and John and some of the others where thousands came to faith. Paul just, you know, he'd have a few guys want to get together for coffee. So Paul doesn't take an arrogant approach, but he, he communicates this desire. And he sees that this is an opportunity. He wants to seize this opportunity to talk about Jesus, to share with Jesus, to share Jesus with him. I want you to be like me, except for these chains. To understand what I have. What's he talking about? He's talking about freedom. He, he wants him to find freedom. If you want someone just to come to your church, just to get to know a religious institution, just to be dutifully involved in church activities, you're not going to seize opportunities and look to share the gospel with anybody. But if you see it as a message that is freeing you, his love is freeing you. We say it often here, not my words originally, but the good news of the gospel is that you have nothing to prove, nothing to hide, and nothing to fear. That's freedom. I've tried to prove myself. I've tried to please too many people. You guys know that it's what I have to lay regularly at the altar of Jesus. But if I live and try to please you and you and you and you and you, what am I, what's my life like? I am a mess. But if I live for him and walk in the freedom of pleasing him only, then I find 
freedom in that. It is for freedom. Paul would write to the church at Galatia, it is for freedom that Christ has died. It is this freedom that sets us free. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Paul says, I don't want you to be bound and chained like I am. But I want you to be free in your spirit. Because the joy of the gospel is greater than the pain of any present circumstance. When Jesus was a young lad, he stood up and had the opportunity to preach his first sermon. You know what he did? He didn't use a prop. He picked up a scroll, holy writ, and he read from Isaiah 61 that says the The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind the brokenhearted, to preach release for the captives and light to those in dark prisons, to bring comfort to those who mourn, provision for those who grieve in Zion. And I will bestow upon you crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning, the spirit of gladness instead of this state of despair. The gospel is a good news message of freedom. And Paul seized the opportunity to share it with others. But as he followed Jesus, and as we see Acts unfold from all the men and all the women who led the church then, we see that they followed Jesus and his message. So, hey, Paul, can you persuade me to be a Christian? Can you persuade me to be a Christian? If you and I had coffee this week and I told you I was a doubter, could you persuade me to be a Christian? Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you persuade people really well. He said, if you love, if you love one another then you'll know. I've shared this illustration a few years ago, but there was a time when my daughter was very young and I came home and she's a little bitty girl. Now she's a remarkable young woman. Life is very different now, but when she was a little girl, uh, she used to really, really um, love me and, and, uh, and want to be with me. And one time I came home and she was in a little girl mood, okay? She was just, you know, not in a good mood. And I was like, come here, give daddy a hug. She didn't want to. And so I thought, okay, um, I felt jilted, so I just went to Mama. And I, in the kitchen, I just went and I hugged Susan. And, and I knew what I was doing. I kind of played it up and just loved on Susan. And little bitty Haley looked over at us, and her furrowed brow kind of turned to curiosity. And all of a sudden, she felt left out, and she ran over and joined us. And we had a little three-people hug, a little team hug going on. And God had used that in my life to show me the power of love. That I don't think we're called to just turn to the world and say, receive my love, receive my love, receive my love. I love you, I love you. Look at me, look at me, I love you. But we are to love each other. And when a watching world sees love, we want to be a part of that, right? By this, this is how we persuade people, by how we love one another. So Paul, an intellectual guy who loves to reason and persuade, remember Athens, he looks for this opportunity, but you can't say that I can persuade you. It's how we live. Imagine, I thought about this this week, about opportunities and seeing the opportunities to share the gospel in the book of Acts. And I thought about Jesus on Shark Tank. You guys watch Shark Tank, some of you, one of her favorite shows. And 
On Shark Tank, I've watched a few episodes. But, you know, man or woman, an individual person or a duo or a team will come before these successful people. And they will pitch their idea for this product or service. And they're looking for VC, right? They're looking for some venture capitalists to help them with their idea. And what the sharks will do through a bit of intimidation, right? They ask questions. They poke holes and punch a little bit. They ask about the plan. And they, they're looking to see if this is something that they would invest in or are they going to reject them. And the one who's in the shark tank is sweating oftentimes. What would Jesus be like in shark tank? Jesus, you're awfully young. What's your idea? Well, my idea is to save the world. In fact, I came to seek and save those who are lost. Okay, yeah, world's in tough shape. We all agree. We watch the news. Uh, what's your, what's your, I mean, first of all, who are you? What's your, what's your background? Well, I'm, I'm a carpenter. Grew up in Nazareth. Like how audacious, how audacious was the plan of Jesus to talk about saving the world what tears us down he wants to build back up fear and envy and greed and insecurity and comparison and the fear of death he wants to he wants to see that change what divides us between black and white and men and women and young and old and sports teams and rivalries and philosophies and ideas and all that He wants to abolish the dividing wall of hostility. He wants to save us from our sin and condemnation and call us away from our guilt and shame. But he's just a carpenter. How audacious. In our day, we're like, eh, that's not a big deal. But think about him in his day. Okay, you're like, you're Mary's boy. You're you're the brother of Joseph and Judas and, and Simon and James. And there's your sisters, you know. Jesus sometimes would say, I got all my sisters with me. There, you know, the, he had brothers and he had sisters and he had mothers and he had a mother and a father, not plural. He had a mother and a father. He was a regular guy to this watching world. You're going you're gonna to change the world. What's your plan? My plan is sacrificial love. My plan is as people embrace this message of the gospel, as the brokenhearted are bound up, as they see their mourning turn to joy, as people are released from what um, they're addicted to, as they are set free, they will love each other sacrificially and they will be organized. It'll be a church. I said this in, I think, week two. In American churches today, we're struggling badly. We've struggled at times. I pray that God helps us and leads us in the future. But a church in America today often says, hey, we got a church, but we need a mission. We got a building, we got some staff, we got this, we got deacons, we got that, we got, you know, we need a mission. What's our mission? Let's have a mission statement. Let's get a vision. We need a mission. And it was different. In Acts, Jesus had given the mission. And a church formed around the mission. They never struggled with what the mission was. They were persecuted for it. They had trouble. We've looked at it in in Acts. It grew and when things grow, needs aren't taken care of and people feel forgotten. And leaders have to be appointed and step up. There was persecution from without, infighting and trouble from within. But there's this, this sacrificial love and this organizational structure. And Jesus would say in the shark tank, I've got this idea that the world has never seen before. And this mission will go forward through love. And it will be organized through gifts, by gifts. Administrators will administrate. Shepherds will shepherd the people. 
Those with mercy gifts will lead the way in loving those who are hurting. Teachers will teach and leaders will lead. People will discover and use their gifts for the good of others. And people will be drawn to that. People will subjugate their egos. Jesus' half-brother James would later say that a whole lot of problems emerge. James chapter 3 and verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Last week in Acts chapter 20, Paul told the leaders, they were called elders. It's what we call them here some 2,000 years later at Fondren Church. But the elders were to shepherd the flock of God. And he tells the elders two things in Acts chapter 20. He says, watch yourselves and be careful. Watch yourselves and be careful because you're called to shepherd people. And when we move away from the mission, when we begin to think it's about us and our ego and our agenda and our angle and our stuff then bitter jealousy and selfish ambition emerge. And we don't really have too many opportunities to seize with the gospel. And Paul is seeing, here's this opportunity, because my life, thank God, has provoked questions. And here now is an opportunity someone wants to know, and they're really open. Can you persuade me? Let me see the fruit. Talk to me about this Jesus. Paul, his life provoked a question. Secondly, I said to you this morning, he seized opportunities. And lastly, I want to say that he embraced sovereignty. Not his own, but the sovereignty of God. It's easy to say God is sovereign when it's sunny and 70 and low humidity. By the way, it wasn't at 68 this morning when you got up. Okay, God is good. God is sovereign, right, over the forecast. That's easy to say. When the waters, when there's no raging sea. But it's harder to say when you're in a storm. And look at this next passage where Paul is in this storm. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Paul's not perfect, right? Nobody wants to be around the guy that says, I told you so. So he got one of his low moments. But here we are in verse 22. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you and all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island. God wants all of us to go through the storm. Paul was a fellow traveler in the storm. Some of you, a lot of you know, they're one of my favorite couples in Fondren Church. Yes, I have favorites. Rick and Natalie Speaker. They're awesome, and some of you will be going to their house for lunch today. Rick and Natalie uh, were married several years ago. And when they had been married only a year, maybe uh, I think it was 15 months, they were at the, in the Gulf of Mexico. They were on a boat. Let me show you this picture of them. And here's this boat. If you look far left, this is when they started their journey. And something happened with the, the hatch in the hull of the boat, the access hatch. And it began taking on water. Okay, no problem, right? CB radio. And the CB radio would not work. 
And the boat took on water and water and water really fast. Rick and Natalie, not a good picture of them. They're beautiful people. Uh, Natalie is. Uh, they're pictured uh, far right photo to the left there. And, um, and that's their friends. They're with them, Andy and Paige. And they began to panic. And in this boat, Rick said, uh, let me pray. And he prayed, God, you are the only one that can save us. In your holy name. If you know Rick, that's kind of how he prays. But he didn't say amen. And it was like 10 seconds. Rick tells you about 10 seconds of silence. And their friend Paige, she says, amen. And Rick looked at Paige and said, well, I was kind of wanting to keep the line open. Like, <laughs> let's don't close it out. And Paige asked them, are we going to die? 30-something miles off the coast. And Natalie said, nope, and we are going to have one heck of a dinner tonight. And Andy went back to the CB radio that would not work. SOS, SOS, Mayday, Mayday, SOS, Mayday, Mayday. This is the United States Coast Guard. We've got your location, and we are on our way. Rick, text me this to make sure I had the facts right. And he said, man, Robert, I cried just texting you this. Like I get teary-eyed just thinking of being saved from this potential calamity. And now look at them. Troy and Paige are about to have their first baby. Rick and Natalie, they've been working fast. They have two in rapid succession. But here's what I want to tell you. God never says to you that you're not going to go through any storms. That your boat's not going to take on any water. That's never a promise. No, if that was a promise, let's close the book and head to the house. Let's go to my house or Piccadilly or somewhere. But like the scripture never promised it. What did Jesus say? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Well, I'm a good person. I'm just. I'm doing things right. He never promises that. So we're fellow travelers. Two weeks ago, I know I have to hustle. I went to lunch. I mentioned them in a sermon. I went to lunch with the Tuckers. They're great people over here. They wear Mississippi State stuff all the, every Sunday. That's probably not right. <laughs> but that woman right there is in a battle with cancer. And she has not had a lot of good news. And a few weeks ago, she had bad news. And we went to lunch after church. And uh, I hope they don't mind me telling on him. But that husband, he, he seemed like he was a wreck. 40 years of marriage, what would you be like? And that daughter, she's 38, she, she was having trouble. She looked at me and said, preacher, I, I, I'm... And Jan said, God is good. Is he? God is good and he is with me. And I just, with joy, I give this to him. It is in his hands. And when we are, when our boat is taking water, when the storm is high, right? We, we see bumper stickers, I'd rather be sailing. Like, I don't get paid enough to have that as a hobby. But I see the bumper sticker, I'd rather be sailing. And I think that, that, I want that. But you never see a bumper sticker that says, I'd rather be shipwrecked. But I'm a fellow traveler, and I'll tell you one example of how I see God working in my life. When I, I told you, and when I sit down with a college student who's thinking 
who's moved away from home and says, I don't know if I believe that, but what do I believe? And I sit down with them and I tell them my doubts and what I've walked through. That's way more effective than sounding like Wikipedia answer man for Christianity. Because I am a fellow traveler and you are to no prosperity gospel at Fondren Church. Uh-uh. The hard things, the real things, the dark spaces that God wants to invade in your life. So now, I want to ask you to stand. And the team, Zeke and the team, are going to lead us as we sing to Jesus and as we uh, take communion today. If you've accepted Jesus, uh, you're invited. It's not denomination or church membership or anything formal or stiff. It's just, hey, Jesus has saved me. And this is an act of worship to walk toward the front or wherever you'll be directed by the person in front of you. And you'll follow them to the bread and to the cup. And the bread you take. And grab the corner representing the body of Christ and just dip it in, not your fingers, but just dip the bread into that cup. And this represents Jesus' life broken and spilled out and given and sacrificed for you. Let's all sing. Let's all take the elements. And let's today, all who've been forgiven, all who need to be forgiven and walk in freedom, let's, let's thank Him that we can worship Him by remembering Him now.